You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Dax Cook from Farmfolio. This is Peter Badger. We're on the Earn and Invest podcast. They say invest in what you know, which sounds good when you're a new investor. Years ago, my family had a good experience with the assisted living that my grandma spent her last days in. So I put my money there, and years later, after adjusting for inflation, I had less money than when I started. The truth is, some of my best investments were in areas I knew almost nothing about. Artwork, building my own medical practice, index funds. Instead of investing in what I already knew, I did the exact opposite. I spent time and energy studying something I thought may be lucrative, and then made an informed decision. Now, let me admit from the get-go, I know nothing about the value of farmland and what role it could play in my portfolio. Yet, my guests today do. Are you looking to elevate your asset allocation, guard your portfolio against volatility? Equity Multiple can help. Invest in professionally managed commercial real estate starting with just $5,000. Establish passive income streams while experienced asset managers go to work on your behalf. Sign up at equitymultiple.com forward slash earn and receive an enhanced return on your first investment. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash earn. Dax Cook, in 2014, after spending a decade in the financial services industry and co-founding an Inc. 500 fintech company, moved to Panama City, Panama, where he developed a passion for agriculture and the formfolio concept was born. Peter Badger has been a full-time investor in real estate and agriculture over the last eight years and recently joined Farmfolio as chief strategy officer. Peter brings a multitude of skills to Farmfolio after spending 18 years on Wall Street and a decade in Silicon Valley. Dax and Peter, welcome to Earn and Invest. Dax, let's start with you. Tell me a good story about growing up on the farm and what you learned. Well, Doc G, thanks for having us on today. It's an interesting question because I didn't grow up on a farm. I am from Alabama, but I didn't grow up on a farm. And as you mentioned, I spent a lot of time in the financial services industry and found myself in Latin America in around 2014. And Make a long story short, I I met a couple of guys in the produce industry, and that's what really led me into the farmland space. What was it, Dax, from the start that said, aha, this is going to be a lucrative endeavor? Well, you know, having worked through the financial crisis, I was actively looking for uh, something different. 
and looking for something not only for myself, but to potentially be able to offer to clients and customers of mine. And, you know, when I started to look at real estate in Latin America as a starting point, I got interested. You know, the cap rates were higher there. You know, properties were more inexpensive. You had the arbitrage of investing dollars into, for example, peso-based economies. And I saw a huge marginal opportunity in just the traditional. And then when I got into looking into the farmland space, I saw margins that were huge. And I saw a really archaic industry when I started to attend fruit shows and fruit marketing events to really see how this product was being commercialized. It just, that's really when the light bulb went off for me. Peter, tell me, you spent 18 years on Wall Street. You were in Silicon Valley. How did you make the transition to dealing with farmland? I think for me, I came from a different angle. You know, I had a massive, let's say, wealth haircut in 2001 crash, in the 2008 financial crisis. And when I'd sold my tech company in Silicon Valley, the question was, okay, how do I actually retain that capital and grow it? And I saw some, you know, very high-end financial advisors. Some were dealing with a lot of the Silicon Valley, you know, major players. And they said, listen, we make our money in private and public company stock. We put it into real assets like real estate and agriculture. And what you should understand, Peter, they said, was that high net worth individuals have between 14 and 22% of their money in agriculture and forestry projects. And the reason for that is because it's completely uncorrelated, but more importantly, it is for legacy wealth building passing through the generations. And that's what started me out. So I started researching. And frankly, that's when I met Dax in South America in 2016. And we kind of like hit it off. Then I started investing in his projects. Dax, it's an interesting point because what Peter says is these high net worth individuals, a huge percentage of them have some money in agriculture. Yet when I think about agriculture as a space, I either think about someone who grew up on a farm like I asked you about in the beginning and therefore got into it because of their family or someone who's a billionaire who's involved in agribusiness. Are there ways for your average Joe and Jane who has a little extra cash around to get into farmland before you guys started with Farmfolio? Well, that was the same kind of preconceived notion that I went into the agriculture business with is, you know, sure, I'd love to own a farm, I don't have a couple of million dollars to put into a farm or, or more. You know, some of these farms are $50 million investments from a starting point because you need the economies of scale, depending upon what product you're in, to be able to generate, you know, a decent rate of return. So, you know, when, when you look at the space, you've got your traditional, you know, equity-based ag input companies, which are publicly traded companies. You know, you have the Monsantos, John Deere, anything that's kind of correlated to the ag space, but you've got the volatility that comes along with that and and the correlation to traditional markets. So it's not really an alternative. And then when you look towards the private space, you've got REITs, which, you know, are kind of all over the map. And they're really based on rents of agriculture properties. They're not really based on the production of agriculture. So they have some correlation to it and they have you know, really, there's really a lack of control because there's either a lockup period in the in the REIT or if it's a public REIT, you're right back in the same boat of being correlated with traditional markets. So 
I, I didn't see anything that was available. And, and then the entire idea of creating this fractional ownership came out of my own desire to invest. I was really trying to set up my own, you know, syndicated fund to be able to participate in a project that I wanted to develop. And it started off as myself and you know a group of friends and family that co-funded the first launch of a coconut farm. And we created what was called a farm share, which was a, a private equity regulation D syndication and uh, had an, a minimum entry price of 25K. We started slicing it up. So there wasn't an avenue and now there is. And it's, you know, since we've launched, there's been two or three others that have popped up that are doing, I wouldn't say the same thing, but they're doing similar, they're taking a similar approach with the fractionalization. Peter Dax was talking about fractionalization and syndications. We're going to get to how Formfolio works in a minute, but I want to go back to this idea of how this investment is different from other real estate investments. I mean, most people listening to this right now, they know what a REIT is. Maybe some of them are landlords or a part of a multifamily syndication. How is Farmfolio's offering different from your typical real estate? So I think when you kind of look at the journey, it's worth pointing out we had a big pivot the past couple of years, which really opened up agriculture to people like you and me. Because I think when you look at private equity syndications, which was the original model for the first few projects that DAX launched that I invested in, that was okay because I'm accredited. We had a bunch of people we knew who were accredited. We could raise the money necessary to do a large farm project, but it still leaves out the little guy. And so from a pivot standpoint, we're like, listen, rather than having a single family rental in the real estate space, which people are used to understanding, you know, people rent it, they give you rental income. Why wouldn't we take a large farm, break it actually into real estate titled parcels? So instead of a single family rental house, you'd have 220 income producing lime trees. And therefore, you would actually have, instead of rental income, harvest income. And because it's a real estate purchase, everybody can buy a real estate purchase. It just has to be trees versus a house. And I think that's really the breakthrough of how we wanted to bring this to the masses, to democratize it, and not let, frankly, accreditation decide whether you could or not participate in agriculture. It's an interesting term, democratization. Obviously, your average person wasn't able to get into this type of investment in the past. Dax, Farmfolio invests in emerging market agribusiness. Why did you go after emerging markets? Well, you know, at first we looked at developed markets, predominantly the US. And when you look at, you know, the margins and the yields of properties around, you know, we focused mainly on California. That's where the predominant ag regions are in the country from a tree crop perspective. If you look at the cost of the property, it was already being sold almost on a square foot basis where it was, it was overpriced. You have all kinds of, of water issues, climatic things that can affect tree crop production in California. And, and we were already starting out based in Panama looking at the idea. And when we started looking at the different production regions and where the flows of products were going, you know, Chile, Peru were huge exporters to the U.S. And we really started to study the windows of production, which is an important conversation in the ag space is when do tree crops produce and where is the opportunity? Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to find that one window 
where you know no one is producing. And we saw that in multiple product lines in and around Latin America. So it, it's kind of a there's a lot of different factors that led us, but the main thing was first was the price and second was the windows of production that could compete and, and really stand out in times when California and Chile and you know, other markets were not producing. And that ultimately led us to Colombia. Peter, how do you decide on products? I mean, agriculture is a big term, right? People produce all sorts of different types of things. How do you specify which products are going to be lucrative for investment? I think from our perspective, there's, you have to kind of segregate row crops from permanent crops. So the row crops, low barrier to entry, you know, wheat, barley, the stuff that's like done in the Midwest of America, anybody can do it. You can get into those things fairly easily and get, you know, income within a year. From our perspective, it was like, let's go for permanent crops, tree crops. Let's look for high demand produce, avocados, coconuts, limes, you know, the citrus fruits, uh, because ultimately it's a higher barrier to entry. You have to plant a tree, wait three to four or five years to get a decent harvest, but then it basically gives you that income stream for decades to come. And so I think really where we ended up was, let's choose high demand products that are consumed in the North American European markets. You know, the graph is going to the right of demand. I mean, you know, citrus isn't going to stop. Coconut's not going to stop. The uses are incredible. And, and then let's basically the arbitrage of, low-cost farming, low-cost labor, low-cost land price with amazing agricultural capability, but the produce being sold in US dollars, Canadian dollars, or euros to the high-end premium markets that you and I buy in. Dex, I want to get into how Farmfolio works. I'm going to start by asking you from the operator side how you decide which plots to buy, how you securitize them, and how they're offered. And then I'm going to go to Peter and ask how it works on the investor side. So let's first start with the operator side. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like, Dax. Well, product identification, as you were just talking about with Peter and and property identification is really a data-driven process with us. So, you know, we, we, we have a market first approach, whereas first of all, we're identifying the demand for product. We'll start selling that product. We have our own import and distribution company in the U.S. as well as in Europe based in Rotterdam. So we start selling products first using third-party packing facilities, and then we will construct our own packing facility. For example, we built a facility called Valle Verde, which is now the number one exporter of limes in Colombia. And we will use the data from that pack house to identify the farms that have the highest export ratios, which is really where the, the money is, is in the export fruit. So we, we reverse engineered the identification process, and then we'll go through a series of due diligence around po- uh, properties, negotiate with a landowner to buy that property from them with the idea that they're going to go out and plant another one and generate something very similar. It's a market first approach backing into the farm. I want to underline that approach a little bit. So you actually start by selling a product and kind of ensure its viability to start with and then you move backwards to packing and shipping. And lastly, you end up with the land and production. Am I getting that right? Exactly. Because the last thing you want to do is spend four or five years and millions of dollars on a property only to find out that you don't have a customer for that fruit or 
you don't really understand the cost of logistics to deliver that because there's a whole supply chain conversation that goes along with farming of delivering that. So the price that you see in the supermarket is not the price that you're going to get. There's a number of different people that participate in delivering that product to market. And you have to really understand that. And I think it's important to say that this is one of the reasons I joined Farmfolio eventually was because I saw their ability to remove a lot of the farm development risks. Because when I started investing in 2014, 2015, I was in some private equity syndications overseas. I was in you know Eastern Europe and Latin America and Central America. And I call what I did those days hope ag investing. Because you meet these teams who want to take some land and plant some trees and produce some fruit and sell it. And I was investing in brand new projects. And really, it was hope ag investing because I was hoping that would work out within the five years it took to produce the produce, how to actually wash, sort, pack, export, and sell into a customer. And most of the projects in early days honestly didn't work out for me because you really have to have those full supply chain characteristics. You find great teams who know farming very well. You find great teams who know fruit sales and distribution very well. Farmfolio had both and did the reverse engineering approach. And that is why I joined, because I knew that anything I bought would already be sold in the market. And they've reduced that development and or uh, supply chain risk. So Peter, tell us what it's like for an investor coming into Farmfolio. What does the process look like? How do you actually get invested in this product? So from our perspective now, we have this product called Lots. It's land ownership titles. Um, So you can buy one or more lots. They range from 32 to 65,000 based upon the crop type. You know, is it limes? Is it coconut? based on the tree age, you know, if it's early stage, three, four years, then you're going to have a cheaper price because it's going to grow in production to the maximum crop at years seven and eight. So there's some flavors around, you know, the type of lot and the type of really income stream you're looking to add to your portfolio. And, and so from that perspective, meet with us, we'll talk you through the different lot opportunities. You'll understand the characteristics of the farm, of the produce, of the, you know, what we're fully expecting from a harvest standpoint. And we'll take you through a conversation. And like anything else, you know, look at some contracts. Uh, You're buying a parcel real estate, sign up the contracts and then send the money and you've got your lot. And we basically, to Dax's point, find a farm based upon understand the pack house data. We then break that into individual lots and then we offer that as an offering to lot owners uh, via our platform. So it's kind of a, a pretty you know, standard process. Peter, we've used the term accredited investor before, and that just means that you have to have a certain amount of wealth to be able to get in on the investment. When it comes to Farmfolio, is there an investment floor? Like, can anyone invest? And is there a minimum? Yeah, anybody can invest because you're buying the real estate. There is no accredited you know, requirement for buying real estate, period. And so that's that's the goal of this is that we don't want anybody to not be able to make their own decision based on their own risk tolerance as to whether they want to buy this and get a, you know, we call a farm folio within your portfolio. Dax, when I think of farming, I think hands-on. It isn't like other real estate investments, maybe in the sense that if you buy a REIT, you buy the REIT and you leave it alone and it does its thing. 
how hands-on is a form folio investment? Because you actually own that lot, that piece of land, right? That's right. You know, so the, the structure of lots comes with a farmer's association. So very similar to how you would buy into a condominium association, you'd be part of the HOA, the FOA or farmer's association works the same way. So you have a co-op that basically exists at the farm so that you are participating at the economies of scale. Farmfolio administers the farmer's association as a property manager and contracts out all of the farm labor. We have farm managers for each project that have experience in that particular crop. And all of the updates are provided by third parties that are auditing the farm. We have a company that we work with, FarmGuard, that actually provides those updates. And you get a bulletin every six months in your Farmers Association portal, which is your online access point to get information. And you get a full financial summary of what the expenses were for the year. So just like an HOA, you'd see what the how much it costs to cut the grass and how much it costs to pay the gate guard. And, and it's consolidated. And you get your harvest check also through the same gateway of information. So it's a very similar process and it's it's not it's not very cumbersome. You know, once you buy a lot, it's it is it's passive. You can, you know, simply collect a check and you can vote on things as things come come up as well. Dax, one of the feared parts of being part of a homeowners association is the special assessments. When it comes to farm folio, is there ever occasion where you actually have to put more money up or there's a new assessment that wasn't expected? Well, we haven't had that happen yet, but you know, it's it's possible that could happen if there was some type of enhancement to the property that would need to be made. Again, you know, the, the, the Farmers Association has covenants to it that require two-thirds majority to make any fundamental changes to uh, a property use. So it, it's not anticipated, but you know, if you had some climatic issue that, you know, required, you know, for example, some years you get more rain than you expect, you know, you might, you might have that where you need additional fertilizers, but we're pretty conservative on that. And the projections that, that the Farm Owners Association make account for a bear, a buffer. So, you know, it could happen, but not likely. And I think this is part also of my kind of due diligence coming to these projects and why I ended up joining the company is because no real estate opportunity is risk-free. We just swap a different set of risks from traditional real estate, like multifamily or single family rentals to farmland. And I think this brings us back full circle to the discussion of why Latin America, why Colombia. And it's because we wanted to make sure that the risk was lower because it has amazing rainfall, unlike California, it has affordable land, has incredible agricultural skills, it's got the right soil, the right sunshine profile for certain crops. And, and really, you know, to, to Dax's point, there's no major disasters. You don't get the hurricanes because the tip of South America, they sweep up and, you know, hit Houston up to, you know, New York and, and Florida. So the key to this thing is just at, you know, analyzing the opportunity in the same way you would in a real estate, but within agriculture, looking at those characteristics, which means that you're probably not going to see unless there's something very bizarre, you know, one of those situations whereby the harvest income, you know, isn't outpacing the expenses. 
So it is a different set of risks, but frankly, we've gone through and made sure that those risks are minimized based on the location, the skills, the team, the farm, the crop, and the full supply chain that DAX and the team built at the outset. Peter, let's move from risks to rewards. How do investors make money? It's simple. A Tahiti lime tree will start growing, as an example. No produce for two years. Third year, they will produce a certain amount of kilograms per tree. And they'll, they'll get all the way up to year seven and year eight to maximum production. And that is the growth profile of your harvest income. And then obviously, there's a set of expenses around pruning and all the phytosanitary processes and all the expense involved in farming. So you're really looking at net income between that amazing harvest trajectory, which is going to then print produce or money or harvest for 20 years, minus the expenses involved in farming. Dax, how liquid is the investment? Let's say you get into Farmfolio and decide it's time to get out. How difficult is that? Well, that's a great question. You know, we launched the LOTS program a little over 18 months ago, for example, and we were originally launching projects and having a sellout within, I would say, 60 days of a $2 million farm sale, two to $3 million farm sale. That's reduced down to probably two two to three weeks now. So these are moving very quickly and we're not releasing large amounts of inventory. So you know, we haven't had anyone come back to us ready to sell their lot yet. But the idea, and, and really what we explain to people is, you know, tree crops have a yield curve like anything else. And eventually the yield is going to plane out. So, you know, I had a, a webinar about this yesterday. We, we kind of explain to people, you can create a farm folio, if you will, similar to a bond ladder where you can have ages, you can buy tree ages at different that are going to mature at different ages. And as the tree matures and eventually planes out, you can sell that based on a cap rate valuation once you have the steady income. And we have been simultaneously developing a beta version of a farmland brokerage, if you will, to be able to resell that. And, you know, demand for the farms that we have sold out are up. If someone wanted to sell today, we could resell it likely for higher than they bought it for a year ago because people are starting to really understand the concept of, of tree crop appreciation and that value curve appreciation. So, you know, the exit ability is we will serve as the broker for you to be able to sell that. We have about 9,000 subscribers that read our content on a weekly basis and we would post that for resale alongside our other projects. We are talking with Dax Cook and Peter Badger. They are part of Farmfolio, a platform which democratizes the emerging market agriculture business so that people like you and I can get involved and invest. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately 
that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Over 30,000 investors across the U.S. are discovering a new way to build wealth. Equity Multiple brings you access to a diverse wealth generation ecosystem with cash-flowing real estate. Starting with just $5,000, you can allocate to professionally manage commercial real estate assets. Sign up in minutes, find investments that fit your strategy, and invest your desired amount through a streamlined, secured platform. Since 2015, Equity Multiple has delivered over $170 million in distributions to investors and 17.4% aggregate net return. Join the thousands of investors nationwide who are building stronger, more diversified portfolios through real estate investing. Sign up at equitymultiple.com forward slash earn and receive an enhanced return on your first investments. All investments involve risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. Again, that is equitymultiple.com forward slash earn. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Dax Cook and Peter Badger of Farmfolio. Peter, talk to me about some of the crops that Farmfolio is involved with and how you pick them specifically. We are obviously looking for permanent crops. We want actually people to be involved in farmland lots that are going to produce for between 20 and 50 years. But that produce and that crop needs to have certain characteristics. It needs to be a premium crop in the supermarket. So we get the highest price. It also needs to produce on a yearly basis, consistently through the year, to satisfy fixed price supermarket contracts. Because we as an American consumer and European consumer demand fresh produce all year round. And again, Colombia gives us different altitudes and different regions that gives us that constant fruit supply in the citrus and coconut space, for instance. The other side to this is that we want to make sure that we can transport them. You know. Taking a coconut, which is a very hardy product, and transporting it, we've got nine months to a year to get it to the market. It's necessary, depending on the type of end product we're trying to produce. Blueberries, organic, honestly, it's a tougher thing. You know? So you've got to choose something which you know you can take from a farm, pack it, sort it, wash it, put it on a container and export it, and it contain, you know, maintains its freshness 
for us as the ultimate consumer at the end in the American and European supermarket. So, so that's the kind of the framework. There's another 50 things, obviously, but that's the kind of the, the big ones. Dax, as Peter mentioned, you're involved in not just the production, but the packing, the sorting, the shipping, eventually the sales. Tell us about some of your partnerships with Walmart, Costco, and Trader Joe's. How does that add and benefit the investors? The relationships that we have with retailers, you know, they've they've evolved. You know, typically the way you get into a retailer eventually is you start out on a trial program. So you have to prove that you can deliver on a regular basis. 2018, we launched Five Verde. 2019, we were doing trials in the line business with Walmart through other distributors. And you know, that once you can produce during a you know, a short market or, you know, when I talked about windows earlier, when you can produce in a window where there's a shortage, you become in high demand. So the contracts that go along with those retailers are typically fixed annual or seasonal contracts. And that's what makes this very interesting in the lots model, because we're able to pass that fixed nature of the contract on so that there's not significant volatility in the price or harvest income for the ultimate lot buyer. So we fix a price usually seasonally, and that's adjusted periodically based on certain things. Like, you know, this year we just made an adjustment to our Walmart contract based on, you know, the not only inflationary effects, but the number of weeks that line prices were above $50 a box. So there's all kinds of adjustments you can make on that, but they're generally fixed volume. So you know you have the security of a customer that's going to take your volume and you negotiate price based on averages. So it levels out the cash flow. Peter, I want to move on to a different concern. Let's say that you as an investor own a lot and a farm worker hurts themselves, right? Gets mangled up in a piece of equipment or something. Is there any liability to the investor themselves? And if so, how much? No, so we do have insurance for, you know, the crop and various other things. And we have, you know, I think the, the thing I tell people is like to get out of the American mentality. This is South America. There aren't 1.7 million lawyers in a cottage industry trying to sue every left, right and center. So I think from this perspective, it is these countries are great countries. The workers are taken care of. We make sure we give them benefits. This is none of the opportunity whereby people even think about those kind of things and trying to sue people. It just, it's just not in the, let's say, culture. So apart from the fact that you're kind of shielded from that anyway, you, you own the real estate, we have the FOA, we have FarmGuard, we have various entities around that making sure everything runs smoothly. It's, 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 it's not like US real estate. I mean, the funny thing for me is that I went from being a big stock market investor in kind of 2012, 2013 to real estate. And with my own multifamily buildings, I was in three lawsuits in the first two years. Mm. Yeah, it's a very different picture um, down there from that perspective. It's not as litigious, frankly. Yeah, I would add to that briefly just to say that the majority of the labor is contract labor. So the employer of the contract labor carries their own workers' comp insurance, which is mandated by the government, specifically in Colombia. So, Dax, let's pivot from the logistics of how our farm folio works to where it would fit in an investor's asset allocation. 
I've seen multiple places on your website. You say that farmland is a good hedge against inflation. Talk about that a little bit. Why, why, especially in today's inflationary environment, is this a good investment? Well, I think the the conversation starts with with history. You know, if you look back over history at the high inflationary environments, today we have what's called the NACRIF index, which tracks farmland. It it alone has outperformed most major indexes consistently. But the interesting thing about the NACRIF is the standard deviation is very low. There's not a vol- a lot of volatility in that index. But if you go even further back beyond 1990, they used an index called the Ag 32, which was a random sampling of land sales in 32 states across America. And if you look at that index and the standard deviation average rate of return during periods like the 1970s, where we had very high inflation, the Ag 32 index was significantly higher than the CPI. So even though inflation was, you know, upwards of, you know, seven to 10%, even higher, farmland was outperforming that. Now, we didn't have the ability to track emerging markets and Latin American markets. But, you know, if you factor in that cash flow is a mechanism of valuation uh, of a hard asset, the cash flow is higher in Latin American markets because of the labor cost, land cost, and selling into a dollarized or euro-based economy. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it's a hard asset, produces cash flow. And we've seen historically that it has significantly outperformed traditional inflationary indexes. And back to your asset allocation, Doc. So I'm going to take my farm photo hat off for a second and put my, you know, Peter Badger investor hat on for me and my wife's portfolio. We have four buckets, traditional stock market, mostly for liquidity, a lot of real estate in the US, multifamily predominantly. My third bucket is agriculture. And why do we do that? It's because it is not correlated with everything else we do. Because it doesn't matter if the stock market cycles up or down, there's a 35, 40% haircut every seven to 12 years. doesn't matter on real estate cycles, which are market-based. Ultimately, People need to live and people need to eat. And there's always going to be a steady supply of high demand fruit products into supermarkets in North America and Europe. So for me, really, it was a it was a let's have a portion of our wealth, which is not only completely uncorrelated with everything else we have, but then it's also in a non-dollar denomination. And so it's overseas. So we got two advantages from that. And, and that really is my diversification strategy. Fourth bucket, just the record is play money, willing to lose it, blockchain, you know, asymmetric trades, bit of hedge fund, you know, just just to keep my interest um, peaked on emerging stuff. So Peter, as American investors, one of the things we really love about real estate, especially here in the United States, is that it's fairly tax efficient. Talk about farmland, especially with farm folio. Are there any tax benefits to the American investor? I mean, can they take depreciation, for instance? Specifically, no. I mean, depreciation, as we know, I'm a US passport holder as well as a British passport holder. Uh, depreciation is one of the wonders of the world. Um, but from that perspective, you know, the answer is no, but there are other tax advantages in these countries. One example is that there is a big push by these governments to reduce taxes on exports to agriculture. You know, everybody cares about the balance of payments and you can essentially have tax advantages within the actual 
call it lot ownership structure that are benefited through the Colombian other emerging market economy governments. So it's uh, in some ways it's hidden within the investment rather than actually on the other side of when the income comes in and how it's treated fuel taxation. Dax, where do you see Farmfolio fitting into your average investor's asset allocation? How are they using it? It depends on the age of the person, obviously, and what their time horizon is. I mean, we have people that are in their 20s. We have people who are in their 60s that have completely different objectives. But I would say that, you know, for a a growth investor out there that's looking for capital appreciation, focusing on younger projects, as we talked about the yield curve, I mean, maybe not cash flowing today, but you're going to see significant capital appreciation as those projects start to plane out and get to their maximum harvest. For the older investor out there that's looking for income now, you know, you want to focus on really trees that are four plus years of age. If you're talking about the lime space, it's really just a matter of where you fit on the yield curve will determine where you should. And, and, you know, you want to be responsible as to how you're diversifying in this space. You know, it's not for 100% of your assets. It's meant to be a future income supplement and ultimately, you know, having a recycling program where you're buying younger trees, recycling over into new trees and capturing those gains and rolling forward. Peter, a lot of young investors are investing within tax protected accounts, things like 401ks, retirement accounts. How does that work with Farmfolio? Is it a fairly easy thing to invest in through your retirement accounts? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I have I have actually lots. I purchased coconut and lime lots before I joined the company. And I hold those in my solar 401k. I would actually say we're probably right now in the last year, over 20% of them held these lots in their retirement accounts, self-directed IRAs uh, mostly, uh, because that's the point. It does give you sheltering of taxation. And these are long-term projects. And so, you know, we all understand the 72-year-old required minimum distribution picture. If you're in your 40s, 50s right now, you put in one of these projects, I mean, this is an unbelievable way to shelter that income over a couple of decades before you then are required to have your minimum distributions. Any special considerations, Peter, when it comes to investing in a retirement account? None whatsoever. It's a piece of real estate. So it's a very straightforward transaction. Let's talk about who Farmfolio may not be appropriate for. Are there any types of investors that you specifically steer away from your platform? You know, we, we don't really have anybody that I would say we steer away from. You know, if someone is really looking for income immediately or really just doesn't have a, a portfolio to invest, of course, we would tell them that you need to allocate what's appropriate based on your ability to and your liquidity requirements. So, I mean, I would look at uh, that as an individual. We, you know, our farmland specialist at Farmfolio will typically take people through a process of identifying what their current assets are, what's appropriate, and try to help them make it an informed decision on really how much income they're trying to generate in the future at a particular date and back into a number of lots that they should be purchasing that will likely end up with that type of income. So, you know, just like we do in the fruit business and kind of reverse engineer the process of farm acquisition, we use the same process with solving for income as instead of just a random amount of, of lots to purchase. Peter, impress us here. How much land right now is owned by Farmfolio investors? How much product is going to market each year? So I give a bit of a growth curve. 
because we built the pack house for limes, an example, in 2019. And in less than kind of, it's been about 16 months since opening, we were sending out one container a month to now having eight to 10 containers a week across to Philadelphia and up the Eastern seaboard. And that's where you'll find our Colombian produce. So that's kind of when you then back into that, that is a, a group of a group of network growers whom we're basically making better from an export fruit standpoint and then going over time to acquire those farms and then off them as lots. And that's around 300 lot owners today. And, and so we're supplying, so there's two questions, how much are we supplying from a land perspective and how many of those land hectares are uh, lot owners? It's, it's getting pretty big. Maybe DAX can give a better idea of, of that profile right now. Yeah, so we export from Colombia last year. Uh, we exported uh, a little over 6 million kilos of lime in particular, as well as some other products. As Peter mentioned, there's around 300 lot owners, give or take. And then we source from around 3,000 lots, if you were to quantify everything in the lot. So there's a long way to go. And there's a lot of opportunity and we're slowly developing uh, relationships with the growers that we're sourcing from and getting their farms up to a better export standard before we take them on and actually add them to our lots model. Dax, how aggressively are you out there buying new land as of today? Well, we're actually starting to get very aggressive. We're starting to consider, well, actually, I wouldn't say we're considering, we're actually getting into it of starting to plant our own farms instead of just acquiring new farms to be able to offer even younger opportunities. You know, we have a lot of younger investors that have a longer time horizon that want a lower ticket price. And that's really how we can control that. If we plant it ourselves, it's a lower entry cost. I mean, ideally, we want to strive to try to get this down to a you know less than $10,000 entry point as well as provide leverage opportunities for people to be able to finance the lots through us as we go forward. So we've just uh, been approved for a large subsidized World Bank loan that's an agriculture subsidy loan to develop around a 750 lot project uh, that we've identified. We're hoping to roll that out uh, later this year in the lots model and have that be the first leveraged opportunity for people to to be able to use some type of financing to uh, subsidize the purchase. So we're, we're striving to bring new, new products all the time. Peter, you came into Farmfolio as an investor. Eventually, you came on board in your current position. There are a lot of people out there, maybe like you, who are considering agriculture, but just don't know enough about it. What are some good ways to learn about the field in general? Like, it sounds like you had to make some mistakes before you landed where you did. How can we save our listeners from making some of those same mistakes? Are there good places to research this online or, or what have you? Ironically, not really. I mean, this is an emerging space, which to your point earlier, it's traditionally been very large conglomerates, very large funds, REITs, or rich landowners. Uh, so there's not a lot of information out there. What I would love to do is at the end, we'll kind of give you a landing page to hit and I'll provide my due diligence matrix because I started out as a newbie like everybody else in any, in an asset class and I made mistakes. You know, I lost money. It took a while to find 
portfolio and DAX and the team and worked out what they'd really done in the right way. But I'll absolutely share that for your listeners because it's important you look at a set of characteristics in the same way you'd look at doing it in traditional US real estate. And I have that mapping and considerations to look into that. And then it really is a question of going deep into those different areas, you know, learning about the crops. There is a lot of information out there, the crops there. You, know, you can go to different fruit markets and work out the price of fruit. And, you know, there is an enormous amount of information on the internet if you know where to start and the framework to look through and learn about it. Well, Dax Cook and Peter Badger, I really wanted to thank you for coming on Earn and Invest today. There are two points that really stick out as I listen to this conversation. We all know that we're worried about what's happening in the equity markets over the next bunch of years. We've had such a good run-up on stocks specifically that most people are thinking that returns just won't be that great over the next 10 to 20 years, which makes us think about non-correlated alternative investments which sounds a lot like Farmfolio. When you talk about being non-correlated with the stock market, that's certainly something that we're all interested in at this moment. And then there's the other issue of inflation and how agriculture could be a good hedge against it. I wanted to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next with Farmfolio and specifically where we can find more information. So Dax, I'll start with you first. What's coming up next for Farmfolio in the near future? Well, what's current with Farmfolio is we have our Las Lomas project, which is uh, a 93 Quadra lime farm that's available if you'd like to learn more about what limes could do for your portfolio in farmland. Um, you can find out more information at farmfolio.net slash doc G, of course. And we have all kinds of guides and things that are available if you're new to farmland. Farmland 101 guide is a great place to start, which is probably the most common download that we have. We'll walk you through the different um, segments, but we have some other things coming out, as I mentioned, later this year. We are going to try to reduce the entry price, start to launch some start from scratch projects, which are going to be new plantings. And we anticipate that those will lower the entry points for some, some folks that have longer time horizons and are looking for a little higher return in relation to you know, a higher risk profile. But a lot of new stuff coming out. We've really gone mainstream in the last six months or so, and we would expect that hopefully the, your listeners will start to hear about Farmfolio more than, more than they have in the past. And again, check out farmfolio.net slash docg. And Peter, if people want to ask you or Dax specifically a question or want to know more about Formfolio, where can they go? What's the best place for them to land? Yes. So I'm happy to share my direct email address. Uh, please write to me. Um, to Dax's point, on the DocG webpage, we'll give you my due diligence matrix, the Farmland 101 guide to learn about farmland ownership. And there's a bunch of other blogs and stuff. But from my perspective, Send me a note, peter at farmfolio.net, and I'd be happy to basically engage with you, chat with you, and uh, get you one of our farmland specialists and, and talk about whether this is the right thing for your portfolio. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Dax Cook and Peter Badger of Farmfolio. That's a wrap.
Awesome. So I, I always ask this question. I, I do after show, right? So I keep recording just as we chat, as we finish the call. Is there anything I didn't mention? Like, is there anything about Formfolio or about you guys specifically that you feel like we didn't cover in this conversation? I think it was thorough. I mean, we we got through really the origin of the the business as well as how it works and what our offerings are, what the opportunities are. I think hopefully people should come away with this with a very good starting point for looking at ag investment. Peter, anything we missed? No, I think I think I'm good. I mean, you know, I wish I'd punted a couple of questions to Dax earlier and got our Farm Life 101 guide out there to learn about agriculture. <laughs> that was a bit of a miss there. But um, I think it's a fairly complex and new topic for most people. So I think we hit the right notes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty happy actually. So I appreciate your your thought passion. Your, you know, you're very thoughtful, Doc G, in your interviews. And that's very different from most of the stuff I listen to. So thank you for that. Yeah, I, I said you're welcome. And I, I try to be because to me, this this stuff is important. And what you guys are doing really, in my opinion, is is very much at the forefront of how investing is changing. And, and I would put Masterworks up there too, right? Securitize artwork. There are all of these great investments out there. And the wealthy, the very wealthy especially, have had access to them, right? The very wealthy, the very big businesses and banks have been making money on these investments forever and i think with how with how our culture has changed with how technology has changed and with a little bit of of a democratization of how we use technology now the rest of us i think are are having these little windows into some of these types of investments and you guys are at the forefront of creating those windows right We use the term democratizing a lot, but it truly is, right? It's opening up these investments that you used to have to have a huge amount of capital to get involved in and making them available to everybody. And I I think I think that's really important. You know, so I'm a big index investor. I'm a very big conservative investor in many ways. But I think having these options out there for us to be available to learn about and as you were saying, to uncorrelate our asset allocation is really important for your average investor. And I just don't think those options have been there until now. So I think it's a great conversation. I think it's important. And, and maybe, you know, the bit about what we could have gone down, which is a little bit early, but coming soon. To your point, Masterworks, it's the tokenization or fractionalization of everything. Yeah, which which is really cool and interesting. Yeah. Is that something you guys are interested in? Is that something you guys are interested in, tokenization? It is, yeah. It's, it's something that we've been looking at for quite a while. I mean, the the, the harvest income Please. component of it is something that we're trying to work through. You know, I think the tokenization of farmland itself is fairly, but it's the active business behind yeah. it and the revenue that's going to be generated off the properties that we have to be able to introduce new tokens based on that harvest revenue. So it's something that I think will come in the next 24 to 36 months as we launch our our beta platforms. We're working on a couple of new things right now just for the brokerage piece. But as technology evolves, there'll be more standardization of DeFi. And I think the platform creations around DeFi will make that even easier. So we just have to we have to grow with that 
industry. Yeah. So each each token would contain like a mini revenue contract, right? I mean, basically, exactly. yeah, that's that's the wave of the future. And to me, that's amazingly interesting because I also look at it from the other side of, of if if we have a mass a mass movement towards these type of investments, it, it'll have a very interesting effect on traditional the traditional equity market. Now, obviously, we're very far away from that, right? We're at the way, way beginnings. But yeah, you it it says a lot about so the the speed of the transaction, the ease of the transaction, on some levels, the lack of regulation too make it a quite interesting idea of how to transact. And it's certainly, yeah, it it makes it it gives you, I think, as the token creator and the owner of the asset, a lot of control about how you bring it to market. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you think about the majority of traditional assets today, like 80 or 90% of them are, are, are controlled and regulated by FINRA and the SEC that are going to tell you what you can and can't do. Yeah. You need this amount of money to access them. But why? You know, it doesn't make any sense. It's because they want to overlay their their regulatory fees and have their established brokerage channels. And, you know, it's the same old people making money over and over again. Yeah. It's a very fast and a very liquid way to invest, right? And yeah, yeah, that's that brings up that term democratization again, right? Because yeah. it's it's really yeah, it's a it's it's a cool concept. And what's really cool is how how many different fields that technology could overlap. So I had Riggs Eckleberry on who does water decontamination and and helps clean up the water system. And he was, he was talking about doing exactly the same thing, tokenizing these water contracts where he has the equipment that cleans so you can clean and reuse water. And he was, he's been talking about tokenizing those type of contracts too. So very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all coming. It's just, you know, again, we're at the four, we're in the, we're at the internet in 1989 right now. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. Another 10 years. Well, you know, my hat's off to you for for trying to be at the forefront of that. It's a hard place to be, hopefully for you, a very lucrative one. And and I hope it turns out well. Well, the cutting edge, uh, being in on the cutting edge, you definitely have some bleeding that occurs. But it's I think we're past that now. We've got the right model. So hopefully we can we can evolve in a profitable way from here for everybody. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. (laughs) Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. (laughs) 